0: You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. It was a flight from Washington, D.C. to Seattle, and I was in the middle seat. And there was a woman at the window and a man on the aisle. And at the time, I was uh, working on staff with University Ministries. And within the first hour of our flight, we had covered that territory. My profession, and I could tell that neither of my roommates were very enthused um, that they were sitting next to a church worker. <laughs> Common occurrence. Um, the woman expressed a cool dis- disinterest, I would say, and then the man mild hostility with a dash of curiosity because he had a son that was a college student, and so he was a little curious about the inn. I stuck with the conversation the best that I could, but I, I really wasn't feeling very well. And so when the drink cart came around, I ordered a ginger ale and opened my book. And it wasn't long after that, that I realized I needed to get to the restroom. And I'm gonna put this delicately, um, peristalsis was working in both directions. <laughs> so when I returned to my seat, I asked the man on the aisle if we might swap. Places. I told him I wasn't feeling well, um, but he refused. He insisted that he needed an aisle seat. But then thinking twice, he said, sick or tummy sick? Tummy sick, I replied. And then he kind of shifted in his seat a little bit and moved his body just a couple more inches closer to the aisle. But later, when I returned from my third trip from the restroom, I found him in my seat in the middle. Now, I'm not sure what ensued in the next hour or so, but I ended up um, sitting on the floor of the cabin with my head in my seat. And the woman next to the window summoned the flight attendant, and I heard the words, I think it's time for the oxygen. It was a very full flight, and this very gracious attendant managed to get things shifted around. So I was moved to a different row where there was only uh, one man sitting next to the window. And as I collapsed into the row, the man said, you know, if you want to, you can stretch out and put your feet in my lap. Well, the flight attendant got the oxygen going, and as I lay there, I felt so horrible, I told God, honestly, I'd be okay with dying. (laughs) I was so weak and sick and I couldn't move. And I knew also that I was the one person on the plane that nobody wanted to have anything to do with. As a matter of fact, it felt like everyone was plastered up against the periphery of the plane. And I was sitting in the middle. Of course, the man that offered me to stretch out, that was he was all right. Um <laughs> I was feeling completely isolated and alone and rejected, and then something happened. The flight attendant came to check on me, and she drew near, and she spoke to me, and I'm not even quite sure the words that she said um, because it's what she did that had the most profound impact on me. She put her hand on my arm, and she left it there for a few moments. She touched me, at that moment when I felt most untouchable. And I wasn't healed physically, but internally, something in me shifted. She had done, of course, other things for me, including giving me life-giving oxygen, but all those things were a part of her job. But the touch, however, was an expression of compassion. And suddenly, I wasn't the outcast on the plane. I was a person seen by another person. I had experienced mercy. Mercy is precious. It's the ability to see someone else's need and to show compassion. KUOW started a new series this week. And it's a series on the questions that most people um, the the questions most people want answered about our region. And for this very first week, the number one question, the one they started out with was this, what is up with the Seattle freeze? I kid you not. As a matter of fact, our brand new uh, UPC magazine has an article about this. This term Seattle freeze uh, was first written about in 2005 in the Seattle Times, but it probably has been going on longer than the coin was termed. As a matter of fact, here's an excerpt from the Seattle Daily Times from February 1st, 1946. That's 68 years ago, okay? It was revealed what we had indeed suspected, that newcomers do not always find us altogether perfect, that we are sometimes neglectful of the stranger in our midst, that we seem unduly preoccupied with our own local concerns. Well, as George mentioned at the beginning of this series, when it comes to talking with our neighbors, Seattle ranked nearly at the bottom of 51 communities similar to us in the United States. And then additionally, in the category of giving and receiving favors with neighbors, such as taking over a bowl of soup to a sick friend, Seattle's only just slightly better than we are with talking with our neighbors. And even though we could call Seattle perhaps a little bit mercy-challenged, it's not because we have it all together and that there are no needs to be met. They abound. But many of us think, if we admit it, that mercy is for the weak, That those who are strong and those who are successful, that those who have made it in this world, they don't need mercy. That's what we believe. I'm doing just fine. Thank you. No problems here. We walk around with a thin veneer on our hearts so as not to appear weak and vulnerable. But it's thinner than we care to admit. Because the truth is, and we know this at our core, that we all need mercy. Because even though we try, we don't get it right 100% of the time. We make mistakes. We hurt and we have hurt others. We have weaknesses. We have felt lonely or forsaken or have a need to relieve pain. A favorite novel of mine is The Secret Life of Bees, which depicts the story of a 14-year-old Caucasian girl in the South, 1963, Lily. And Lily's had a hard life. She lost her mother at age four by her own hand in an accidental shooting. And she's grown up with a father who has not only shown her no love, but has been cruel toward her. And so Lily one day runs away with one of her father's employees, a black woman who was beaten in an act of racism. And they find refuge in the home of a very kind lady, August Boatwright. And this is what Lily says about her first week in August's home. It was consolation, a pure relief. And then this is my favorite line of the book. The world will give you that once in a while, a brief time out. The boxing bell rings and you go to your corner where somebody dabs mercy on your beat up life. A brief time out where somebody dabs mercy on your beat up life. We all need mercy. And in Jesus, we have it. And not just a dabbling of mercy, but we're covered with it from head to toe. Head to toe, drenched in mercy. And that's where our text takes us this morning. And so with that, I want to invite you to pick up your pew Bible. And we're looking at 1 Peter. You can turn to page 996 if you're looking for it In your pew Bible. And chapter two, excuse me, I'm in Revelation. (laughs) Has that happened before? I don't think so. All right, First Peter. We actually want to go to 984. Go ahead and stand up now that we found the right spot. And we're going to read verses 9 and 10 of chapter 2, 1 Peter. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Gracious God, help us this morning to hear your word, to hear exactly what we need, that it would saturate our hearts and animate our beings. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Take a seat. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, called out of darkness into his marvelous light, a people who have received mercy. These are great words of encouragement for us. And in them, we find good news. I'm going to point out two things we find, a secure identity and a sure mission. A secure identity. We have it. We are God's own special people of mercy. And the audience that Peter was writing to, if you remember, they were despised exiles. They were experiencing rejection from their pagan neighbors. But despite their disgrace in the eyes of the world, Peter reminds them that they are precious in God's sight. They belong to God And they are in God's family because of Jesus. Taken out of darkness and brought into his marvelous light. Because God makes good on his everlasting ancient promises. Jesus brings mercy. And gives us what we are unable to give ourselves. Mercy has to be granted toward us by someone else. God's mercy comes near in Jesus, and Jesus was one who could relate to being rejected, to suffering, because he had suffered everything we have suffered and knows everything that we have suffered. Our God is a God of mercy and compassion. And one of the greatest fictional characters that illustrates God's mercy, in my opinion, is the bishop in Les Miserables. I'm sure you've never heard the story. (laughs) i was actually i I know it so well i was just telling it aloud to my kids one day because they love to hear stories just coming out of my head although i told them i didn't write this one and we got to the part where the main character jean valjean a prisoner on parole was caught robbing the bishop the very man who showed him kindness and charity and it's such a powerful moment as the bishop who who could have turned valjean over to the authorities grants him extravagant mercy and gives him a second chance. And I really wanted my kids to understand the significance of this story. And so I think it was the next day we were talking about it again. And I said to them, you know, the bishop could have had Jean Valjean thrown into jail. That would have been okay. He broke the law and he stole But thanks to the bishop, Jean Valjean didn't get what he deserved. Instead, he, and then my seven-year-old daughter filled in the rest. Mama, instead, he got what he needed. She got it. He didn't get what he deserved. Instead, he got what he needed. She understood mercy. Over judgment and punishment, penalty, he got pardon, favor, compassion, kindness. We are God's children of mercy. Kindness, compassion, that's our identity. And we've been given a sure mission. Did you catch it? That you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light as a mercy drenched people we have a way of being in the world we're called to a way of being in the world that points to the source of our hope and we can do this because we know it's not all about us it's all about God and God's action in our lives and so we do so with humility Because we recognize that life itself is grace. So offer mercy to those as to others as people who have been given mercy. Courtney read the Lamentations passage, one of my favorites, that talks about mercy never coming to an end. That each day it is brand new. And that brand new mercy that we receive each day animates us as we endure hardship and experience joy. And the best way to honor the mercy we have received in Jesus is by sharing it, it's by showing it, dabbing mercy on others. So there's our good news. God has come near to us in our lostness, in our pain, in our isolation and stagnation and changed us to be mercy receivers, chosen ones, people that keep company with Jesus. And so how do we practice mercy? How do we draw near enough to someone else to provide respite To dab mercy and to point to the one who has an endless supply of mercy. Well, since we're practicing during Lent, I'm going to give us three verbs. Look, pray, dab. Look, pray, dab. Look to Jesus. Jesus comes near all the time. And there are all sorts of gospel accounts of this. Because you know what? If you read the gospels, you realize this is what Jesus does best. He comes near enough to see. And from there, he is moved with compassion to recognize someone who needs someone and to act mercifully. And he did this for each one of us. Jesus is... His whole life was shaped by mercy. His teaching was shaped by it. And his mercy, or his mission is shaped by it. And it's mercy that propels us forward into God's world, looking to Jesus as our teacher. By his mercy, show mercy. Pray. 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 You know, prayer is something we can do as we're just walking around, talking, you know, quietly to ourselves, perhaps, um, to show, to ask God, you know, who today needs mercy? And it could be anyone. It could be anyone. Someone on the outside, someone who's been rejected, maybe someone actually pretty close to you that, frankly, you have a difficult time showing mercy. Who knows? And so pray for the Spirit's help. Because we have obstacles, don't we? One of the first places we go sometimes with mercy is we make an assessment and we cast a judgment. So pray that the Spirit would help you suspend judgment. Because Jesus did that for us. That we would be helped in our self-centeredness. Or perhaps that we would address some of our lack of margin that we feel is so hard to overcome. And pray for courage to show up where need exists. Because, you know, sometimes it can feel scary, but often very little is required. And ask for humility. And I think especially for us Pacific uh, Northwesterners, do-it-yourself, entrepreneurial, independent types, pray for the desire to overcome, to fix things. Because that's what we like to do. We like to get in there and fix something. When really what mercy is about is to really see and value others. And then sometimes on the other side, something good happens and something does get changed. But seeing and valuing others is the essence of mercy. And finally, dab. Dab thankfully, generously, and often. Thankfully, generously, and often. My neighbor Brian has had a rough life. He's had a history of violence and remnants of uh, metal in his head from that. He has a medical condition that makes him virtually unemployable. And he goes often without food or electricity. And a few years ago, his mom died. But she had a bank account that had some money in it. And apparently, our local bank had tried to reach Brian a number of times without success. And uh, one day, when Brian was at the bus stop, a bank employee saw him from out his office window. This was probably at least a block away. And he chased Brian down. And he, he wanted to know, he recognized him. He said, I, I want you to know you have some, you have some money coming to you your mo- from your mom's account. It's not a lot, but we could pay it out to you in monthly checks. All you have to do is sign the checks and deposit them or get the cash. Brian was so happy about this. And I think what he recognized is that bank teller went out of his way to extend him mercy. He saw him, he recognized him, he recognized his need, and he came near. And I think it's the simple acts that make the difference in your life, in mine. Those simple acts take us sometimes a step out of the darkness and into the light from not being seen to being seen again. And they create opportunity for life to flourish. A simple touch. Perhaps putting ice chips in the mouth of a dying friend. Picking up a frightened child. Or maybe it's offering your spot in the grocery line to... Uh, a neighbor that seems frazzled or showing someone that has lost the way or maybe inviting that person at the office that you know is going through a divorce out to lunch. Our little dabs of mercy are fueled by God's generous and extravagant mercy. God, whom Jesus likens In this mercy parable, to a waiting parent rushing towards a rebellious teenager who has come home, compassion takes over. And you know, when compassion takes over, what goes away? The questions, the lessons, the conditions, the problem solving, the emotional restraint, it all goes away. Because when a merciful God runs from the center to the edges, He brings whatever is on the edges to the center. God's action takes center stage and turns the invisible into the visible, brings life out of death. And friends, it's that extravagant love that rushes towards us so generously and mercifully. And our response is to live gratefully and offer the world Freely the compassion that we have received in Jesus. Mercy without merit. When we don't get what we deserve, but we get what we need. I mentioned that fictional character, Lily. And she experienced that transformative power of mercy when it was dabbed on her life through the love of another. And towards the end of her story, she says this. I realized there is nothing but mystery in the world. How it hides behind the fabric of our poor browbeat days, shining brightly, and we don't even know it. But we do know it. We know it. That mystery that has come near to us and that comes near to us every day, the mystery of the extravagant mercy of Jesus Christ, His marvelous light. May that light shine forth in us. Gracious, merciful, loving God. Thank you. Thank you that you have given us mercy. That you have claimed us as your own. That that's our story. Lord, help us to receive that to know it to our core. And in humility and in thanksgiving and as an act of gratitude, God, would you show us how to give it to someone else? May we be attuned to your spirit as we move forth from this place this day. In Jesus' name, amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.